Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome back to Life Lessons from Sports and Beyond. My name is Simon Mundy. This week I am joined by Stevie Ward. And the theme of our conversation is about surrendering to the challenges that life throws our way. Stevie burst onto the rugby league scene as a teenager, helping Leeds Rhinos win the Challenge Cup final in 2012. But his career was blighted by injury. He had 10 operations all before turning 27. In 2017, he dislocated his shoulder a week before the grand final, but went on to surprise everyone by playing the full 80 minutes, helping the Rhinos win another trophy. And he had just been made Leeds Rhinos captain and was reaching the pinnacle of his career, but concussion on the opening weekend of the 2020 season stopped him in his tracks. Stevie announced his retirement in January of last year because of the severe side effects of his brain injury, including migraines, sensitivity to light and screens and memory issues, which do continue to this day. He's currently abroad exploring possible ways to help manage his symptoms. Now, back in 2016, Stevie launched Mantality after experiencing depression and anxiety with all the highs and lows he was going through. And Mantality offers coaching and counselling to other people struggling with their own mental health. In this episode, we discuss surrender, acceptance, the difference between success and fulfillment, as well as Stevie's own dark night of the soul. Now, Stevie's a fantastic, thoughtful guy. It was a pleasure chatting, and I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Stevie, Stevie Ward, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm good. I don't look like a, a Yorkshire man right now with this tan. You look absolutely fantastic. I'm going Spaniard, full Spaniard. <laughs> Just tell us where you are, Stevie, because you're out living the life, although for a reason. Yeah, I'm I'm out in Costa Rica, mate. I've been in Latin America, if you like, for, for three months. I came over to Mexico midway through November, embarking on some new treatment new cutting edge treatment for my noggin, which I can't really talk too much about at the minute. But instead of coming home and thrusting myself into what would be full dedication, full sacrifice and being a rugby player and setting off on, an, on another journey like that, it's the first time where I've been open to a lack of plans and a lack of that dedication. You know, me and my partner, Natalie, she's a contemporary dancer. She's also took a year out of a similar profession rugby and dancing aren't similar but the the dedication and the sacrifice and the amount of time and effort that you, you put into it we've decided to spend time hanging around and exploring South America we're just spending time here where time moves a bit slower which can be challenging at times but 
it's exactly what I need for my brain. So let's talk about your brain a little bit. In a nutshell, you've got post-concussion syndrome. You've had it for two years now. So can you just explain what that is? Yeah, so post-concussion syndrome is basically a collection of symptoms. Um, and in my case, it's migraines pretty much every day. Dizziness, balance issues, coordination issues, sometimes picking out words and, and my mind can be like sludge at times, um, cognitive issues and mood swings, especially in the early stages was depression and, and anxiety and a lot of confusion as well. So yeah, I'm juggling symptoms every day, mate, with, with what I can do and can't do. That's what I'm dealing with at the minute. Obviously for you, having been a, an elite athlete, so your coordination, your spatial awareness, so to lose those things it's very profound an impact on someone like yourself. Yeah, I mean, my whole career, my whole life was thrown into question. And at the same time, I'm trying to work out what was going on. There was not many people that had an example for me to follow. In the early stages, I was like, am I this bad? Am I really this bad? Is this what's happening to me? How can I be struggling with balance? How can I be struggling with migraines? How can I be struggling with an injury which I can't just work through? And I had no tactics. I had no idea of how to deal with it. So it's been a couple of years now. If naught was your rock bottom and 100 was you at your physical peak, where are you on that scale right now? Probably a 30 out of 100. <laughs> I, saw, um, I saw an old friend over in Costa Rica. She knows me from back in 2015, 2017, where I was a rugby player. And now I've not exercised properly for two years. I said to her as a joke, I like to be really dry. And I just said, Stace, do you look at me and think I've let myself go? <laughs> and she's like, she's looking at me and she doesn't know what to say. She's like, what? What do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I've changed, Anna. I've gone downhill, Anna. But obviously this is, all, this is all in jest. This is knowing that, you know, what's happened. She obviously knows about my brain injury and, and that it stopped me exercising and, so physically, you know, body shape-wise, um, I'm way below par. There's a bit of mental work in letting that go. I uh, physically can't exercise anymore, so I've just got to accept it. Blimey. Have you reconciled yourself with the possibility that things might not ever get quite back to normality, as it were? Yeah, I have. I've met that expectation actually quite a few times. It's a tricky terrain to navigate because... You want to be positive and you want to feel like you're moving forward and getting better. But also you, you try not to get too far ahead of yourself. Playing rugby for a, a job is one thing, but then when it affects you driving a car, when it affects you walking in a straight line when you're crossing the road, and when it affects you being able to go out in sun or in cold temperatures because you're going to get, you feel sick or you, you get a migraine, that's when you're looking at uh, quite a quite a barrier to getting on with your own life. And then those times, there's often been a real anger at the situation, then probably a sadness, to be honest. And there's been many times, actually, where I've hit those periods and it's caused me to grieve. You know, I think about the stuff that I wanted to go on to do as a rugby player. I guess it's the full cycle of grief and I come out accepting where I am. Acceptance, obviously, really important where you're at, the limitations that are now on you physically, mentally, what you can and can't do. But it's also about accepting the feelings that come with it, accepting as well the grief that you are going to feel. That's a part of the acceptance as well, right? Yeah, of course, when you've lived your life in a certain way for so long and that comes to an end, there's a lot of adjustment. I'm definitely grieving that little boy inside me which went out and played rugby and just felt so free, got the ball in his hands, took the line on, went through the line, and felt that freedom, that full essence of being alive. <laughs> and that's where I'm on this journey now in, in terms of you know, mentality and just trying to come more and more into that, that feeling, I guess, without rugby. Yeah. You're obviously going through very difficult things to accept, loss of coordination, anxiety, all those things that we are so prone to resisting to trying to get rid of. I mean, in a way, you're getting practice at sitting with the uncomfortable. Have you got a lot better at it? 100%. 
You know, the first thing that we want to do as men, the first thing that we want to do as human beings is resist it. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I, I need to I need to do something so I'm not uncomfortable or I need to chase this desire or I need to do this thing that worked for me in the past to stop it. But I, I can't exercise. I can't donate myself to a cause. I can't go into a gym and just fully throw myself into it anymore. So a lot of the time now, that grief or that anxiety, I just have to accept it. Initially, I want to resist it. I don't want to feel it, <laughs> you know? But there's quite a few times which has highlighted to me in and around and after moments where I've just said to myself, I'm okay if I'm going to feel like this for the rest of my life. And allowance of whatever I'm feeling to be felt, it dissipates, it gets weaker, and it, it does move through you. Although you still have to remind yourself when a new feeling of anxiety comes up, you still have to remind yourself again that you can accept it. I think I've always had a question and a search for understanding why there's no readily available environment to, to discuss these things. And when I launched Mentality, that was 2016, and, and that was off the back of feeling incredible amounts of anxiety. The trajectory that I'd always wanted, the meteoric rise as an 18-year-old playing, playing rugby league and playing at Wembley as standoff at 18 and losing that final, but being able to win a, a grand final at Old Trafford later that year. And to do the things that I'd always dreamed of with the backdrop of next year, dislocating my shoulder, damage on the nerves down my arms. And having these moments which just kept blocking me and blocking me from what I wanted to do. Later on down the line, I'd have another injury, an ACL injury. That anxiety was there again. And I felt it so strongly because I wasn't playing. I wasn't sort of having that outlet. There was no direction for it to go. And launching Mentality, I think, was a presentation to the sporting world that we, we don't talk about this enough. We don't talk about anxiety. We don't talk about these issues and feelings that we have. And in the sporting-related arena, I looked around and I'm like, I don't get it. We're fronting up so much and we're going out to battle. But why is this side of life not spoken about? As I've gone on over the last few years, even after all the years of, of playing, stepping out onto the field to do make tackle after tackle and, and work until you feel like you're going to drop dead, I honestly feel like the bravest thing that we can do as men in particular is to face the stuff that we don't want to face. It's being able to, to look at those feelings and sit with those feelings and almost examine the fear that you have around those feelings because it's not just the anxiety and it's not just the depression or the lack of meaning or the, the confusion of around your purpose or it's the stigma that's on top of that and it's feeling as if it's almost feeling that shame and, and shame is feeling like there's something wrong with you. There's this whole side of life that we are not addressing. When you do start to face those sides of life and you start to encompass and envelop the whole side of being a human being, life is better. Life is better. As I went through my academy years and through my years as a young rugby player, my mum and dad were into music and these musicians would express everything. It'd be fully encompassing. It wouldn't just be the glory. It wouldn't just be the highlights. They'd talk about emotions. They'd talk about everything that was going on for them. And I'd use that to feel myself playing rugby to inspire me. But also when I needed it, I knew that I could fall back on that understanding. Talking about you as a young rugby player, as a young fan, earlier you mentioned grieving for that little boy inside you who felt so free when he played rugby, when he was breaking through the line. So those moments of when you're actually playing, when you're lost in the moment, when you're lost in the game, as opposed to the moments of winning the trophy or being acclaimed by lots of people, is it the moments of pure joy of playing the game that stand out the most? Because that was the thing you mentioned in terms of grieving. Yeah, I think those moments, it's, it's almost like bliss. You know, those moments are like bliss. And 
is so strong when you're a young kid because there's none of the the concepts or there's none of the game plan or there's none of the um, the other stuff that you've got to do to win a game. It's just solely those moments that you're exploring the game for and you're playing the game for. Always going into a final or into a game, they're certainly the moments that you want to recreate. But as I said, I think when you're a professional, you, you understand that there's a lot more graft and there's a lot more work and a lot more of a fitness element to it as well. So you spread yourself out a lot more. But those moments are the moments where you do it. I just wanted to ask you as well about the difference between physical and mental pain because you were a real young talent who was seen as the next Kevin Sinfield, basically. So there was a level of expectation. As you said, you played in big finals before you were 20, but you had so many injury problems. For example, you had that dislocated shoulder when you were out for a season. You did your ACL in 2016, which was when you set up Mentality. And there was uh, that final that you played in when really you shouldn't have played in it because you had popped your shoulder out. But you felt like, or I'm interested to what degree this is true, that you felt like the pain of missing the final from a mental point of view was worse than the pain, the physical pain of playing with a shoulder that you had dislocated just a, a week or two before. So can you talk about that difference between the, the like what's worse in a way for you, that the physical pain that you went through time and time again, and then the mental pain that came at different points as well? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. I think, <sighs> do you know what's so easy to deal with? It's much easier to deal with in life. And it is for me, in my experience anyway, is, is the physical pain because it's outwardly obvious what's going on for you. It's outwardly obvious that you're not, you're not in a good position and people can almost respect it. People can almost pat you on the back for it because they know what you're going through. They know the challenges that you've got. It's so much easier than the mental pain because... It's so unique to yourself and it's so unique to your own story and it's so unique to what's cutting you off in life and you almost start respected. I think we're slowly moving away from that and we're becoming more broadly accepting of it. But that semi-final where I dislocated my shoulder, I was up all night because they couldn't put my shoulder back in. I was up for 12, 13 hours until they took me down to theatre to put it back in place. And I was just so tired of that dip again. And it wasn't so much the shoulder. It was like not being able to do the thing that I'd worked so hard for all year. It was too much. And Simon, by the time my shoulder came out, I was looking at quitting the game. I just couldn't do with that mental pain of becoming the man or becoming the player that I'd always believed and dreamed myself to be. And then being just swung right back out of it and into another battle. That final was in touching distance and the possibility of it got ripped away. And I think it was a couple of days later where I'd sort of looked back on the amount of comebacks. I'd looked back on how many times I'd picked myself back up and done the rehab, a long stint of rehab and in isolation, away from everyone, questioning what I was doing, questioning if I could do it questioning if I'd even get better and questioning the point of it all at times. And I had that in the space of a week because I decided to play. I decided to throw myself out there and I just made the decision to do it. And on the Sunday night, I think it was, before the, the next Saturday of the final, I felt so free. I felt so free because unlike going into the, the final when you're fit and healthy, everyone knew what had happened to me. Everyone knew that, well, everyone thought they knew that I wasn't going to play. And it felt so freeing. It felt like I could just go into a final with nothing to lose. That little kid, when all the press was saying that I was out for the final and, and, and totaling up how many injuries I'd had and, and everyone was writing me off and writing Leeds Rhinos off, I just felt like I had another crack, like I had another crack at life again, because life was that for me. 
and you know I managed to go on and play and and win in that final. But for me, it wasn't so much the physical pain, but it was the ability to use the foundation of what I'd learned about resilience, of what I'd learned about coming back to that that energy in, in our core and, and what is sort of there from when you were a young kid, to being able to do it so freely on the biggest stage with full conviction and so much questioning before that point. But I think for me, that's why it meant so much. It's interesting that the mental pain of the possibility of missing the final was that much worse than the physical pain of having sat up for 12, 13, 14 hours with your shoulder out of his socket. You could deal with the physical pain pretty well, but the mental pain would take a, a huge toll on you. So you had those few injuries and 2016, obviously you set, set up mentality, but the earlier one where you were out for a season as well and you had the nerve damage, that really affected your mental health at that point as well, didn't it? To what degree is that were those periods of poor mental health related to having your self-worth attached to your identity and your performance as a rugby player? Yeah, I mean, those those moments early in my career, especially when I was 19, um, after the script had gone exactly how I wanted it to go. That was a shoulder injury. I dislocated my shoulder and basically damaged all the nerves and I was out for nine, ten months for the rest of that year. And To be honest, that was like, that was a bit like a blur really. It was something that I just muddled my way through. Muddled my way through. It was my first serious injury. And I think the year after that was when I felt the adversity, which I believe is just when you come off script, when the story's not going your way, that's when I think adversity plays its part. And I couldn't put weight back on because I damaged my shoulders. I couldn't do the weights I needed to do. And I wasn't playing to the potential of, of how I knew I could play and, and how the others, people around me, knew I could play. Rugby is it's obviously the fight that I've had all my life. And a fight I'd always been winning, but at that point it was a fight that I started losing. And I had no understanding of values. I had no understanding of who I was outside of playing rugby. My self-esteem hung on the fact that I was a rugby player and was able to be a rugby player. But when I wasn't able to do that, I was pretty lost. And I think that's what sort of was the backdrop for me to launch mentality those, those years after. When I was 19, it was a fully experiencing depression when I was going into the world of rugby where depression wasn't really a thing or you couldn't really speak about it or you couldn't really sort of acknowledge it and I guess I just coped, I just coped through that period until 2015 came where boom I'm able to put some weight on my shoulders, I'm able to wrestle, compete, challenge, I'm able to start, I'm one of the first names on the team sheet. I'm playing game after game. That was the medicine. That was the thing which I needed. But that's all well and good. But when another injury comes, when you stopped again, that's where I found it difficult and I needed to take action. And instead of being a leader on the field, I needed to be somewhat of a leader in my own life. So when you have the injury, those same demons, if you like, those same feelings just re-emerged quick question for you that hanging your self-worth on your sport on how well you play your form how you're perceived by fans all that kind of thing how prominent do you think that is in rugby league or just elite sport generally and life even how much we associate our worth as people according to what we do and how well we do it i think it is in all areas of life, I think, and I, I almost think launching mentality, it was an exploration of what more I could be or what else I could be, um, because there was something not working, something dysfunctional in me hanging everything on me being that rugby player that was 100 kilograms that could 
could wrestle anyone that could go out and play and, and, and win these trophies and get the recognition and keep getting that, that reward every week by playing a game. I often think that there's a struggle for, for when people retire and when people stop the game because sport often is the be-all and end-all. Well, what happens when it's the end-all? Where do you go from there? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's quickly talk about mentality then. So just tell me what it is, and if you had to describe it in a nutshell, but also how did you feel when you did launch it? Did you have trepidation about how it would be received? Yeah, I mean, Mentality is a coaching and counselling service that help men to become proud of the man in the mirror. We take men beyond stigma. We take men beyond stigma. We have the conversations that we need to have to really make life click. And when I launched Mentality, it was thrusting myself into a discovery of, of what that was. My life wasn't clicking, even though I'd done exactly what I wanted, wanted to do as a rugby league player. It wasn't clicking. For me, that was almost the discovery of the things that would help me to do that. Funny enough, when I reflect, I think it was just another way to achieve fulfilment. I always got success and fulfilment as the same thing, but I soon realised, even as a young man, that all the success in the world wouldn't bring me that fulfilment. Even in the launch of mentality, I thought that opening this discussion up I would be able to achieve into what I wanted. But it took me down a path which I guess I never would have expected. I never would have expected. And, you know, we, we have people now, you know, mentality, we have a counselling program, uh, counselling service. We also have a coaching membership and talking a little bit about those feelings that you get in life, talking about that anxiety, talking about, the whole experience of being a human being. These guys on that membership, on that program now, that come on, I think they get a feel or a sense of what mentality is and, and the, the words that we speak on the podcast. and They're just they're ready for it. And I think it's beautiful. I honestly think it's beautiful when people come on to this membership and they're acknowledging what's gone on in the past and they're here to accept it and to open up to more in life, I think it's so beautiful. And it makes me so proud when I log into that app every day. I think it's really interesting what you said, marking out a difference between success and fulfillment and achievement and fulfillment. Because there's certainly the idea that when I achieve X, Y, Z, when I earn a certain amount of money, when I win this amount of trophies, whatever it may be, that then we will feel fulfilled. But as you pointed out, the two don't go hand in hand. So, so how would you differentiate success and fulfillment? I think success is 
the idea of what you have when you're younger, we, we sort of build this idea of success through what we want to achieve, through the person that we want to become. And we sort of gather our own version of success and an idea of that. And as you said, that, that, that is usually based on achievement. It's based on the result and the byproducts of achievement, whether that's cars, whether that's the detached house, whether that's the all the conquests in life, the trophies. That I feel like we make an idea of it, but the idea itself is never the fulfilling thing. The idea of gaining that thing is never the thing that's fulfilling. When you look back and when you look at your life, you realise it's the action of doing it or it's the the quest of doing it. There's so many times that I've seen that I've got ready, say, say I'm sat on the beach, you look at the horizon and that horizon is that idea, you know, that is the concept of success for you to move towards. When you get to that horizon, the underlying dissatisfaction that you have in life is gone. You get to that horizon, the success is there. And, you know, I think back about when I won a grand final at 18. All I ever wanted to do was win a grand final at 18. And I was hoping that there would be an afterglow with me for years, for the rest of my life. But you realise that you get to that horizon and it's just a mirage. The horizon keeps moving on. The horizon keeps progressing. You're still the same person. You've still got the same insecurities. You've still got the same desires that are pulling you out of the moment that you're in right now. You've still got the same anxieties, the same fears, insecure. You've got all of these things that you thought you wouldn't have when you got to that moment or that idea of success. And fulfillment, funny enough, for me, is accepting all of life. I love that analogy of the horizon. You know, it's always moving. It's always moving. In terms of then surrender and also the surrender of your identity that you had, as a rugby player, what do you think about the relationship between surrender and fulfilment? Yeah, I think surrender is is important because every moment you are surrendering to whatever's going on. I think in your life, you're surrendering to the desire that's trying to pull you out of the moment. You're surrendering to the frustration, the anger, the experience of not doing what I always wanted to do. That is something which I've had to do and work on so many times and, and that's coming in moments where the year after I retired, I managed to to do a review on Sky Sports News for five minutes every Monday. And in the process of me coming away from being a rugby player, me watching the Super League, me watching every game of that weekend, I'm watching teammates, watching players from other teams, rivals, and me being stuck on the sideline with my symptoms. For me, that was a, an active attempt or an active transition and, and feelings that come up from it, you know, the, the frustration and the anger. And I had to get to a point where I said to myself, I've got to meditate every day. I have to look for what I'm grateful for every day because what I was going through, what I was processing, it wasn't nice. It was making my life hard to live and I wasn't doing that anymore. I had to keep surrendering to whatever was happening in my life in this moment and focusing on, on what I could do. A description of surrender I like is the simple but profound wisdom of yielding to rather than opposing the flow of life, which is easy to say, but perhaps harder to do. But basically it just means going with whatever the content of experiences is, is at any one given moment. If someone said to you, how do I surrender? What would you say to them? <sighs> it's the hardest thing to teach anyone to do because the whole concept of surrendering, it's not an active thing. It's you, you almost have to open the door to be able to do that. And, you know, I can use the example of, 
I, I love I love comparing the work that you can do mentally to the work that you do as a as a rugby player when you prepare to go out to battle. You are surrendering to whatever happens out on that field. <laughs> you have all these thoughts in a change room before you go out to play. I hope I make this tackle. Or I hope I I'm good today. I'm up. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. And I'm nervous. I'm looking around. And but when you go out the door and you 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 feel into who you are and and what you're there for and, and that little boy, you're surrendering for that to take over. You're surrendering for a different version of yourself to take over. And we live all of life with this this ego, this voice in our head that thinks that it knows what's best and it thinks it knows what what's right, it thinks it knows what's going to make you happy. But you have to train yourself to not be dominated by that. <laughs> you have to accept that you're not going to be dominated by those concepts. And I'd say the practical sort of, the practical segue to get in there is is practicing mindfulness and realising the voice that sweeps you away from your natural best I like what you said about surrender being not an active process. And I think that's very true because actually resisting something, although it happens automatically, it's only happening in our mind. It's only a thought that comes up and says, I don't like this. Yeah, exactly. That is that is resistance right there. A thought saying, I don't like what's happening now. I want something to be different. You mentioned mindfulness meditation. The trick of that, obviously, is just to notice just how mad the mind is in many ways and how it does disappear off down so many rabbit holes and learning to let go of thoughts as they come and go. And I know you do mindfulness of breath, so bring it back to the anchor of your breath. And then you notice it's been pulled away by another thought and it's the process of letting go that is the goal of mindfulness meditation, not clearing your mind as some people think. And so it's that same letting go of that thought. This shouldn't be happening. I don't like this. So meditation in a way is an active process. You've still got to sit down and bring your attention to your breath, but then it's actually a letting go, continually letting go. Oh, I'm thinking this thought, let go. I'm thinking this thought, let go. It's a sort of paradox, isn't it? Yeah, and I love I love the word that you're using to to mention the the active process is actually letting go. You just continuously letting go, and that I had to build that up. I had to sort of look at that. And I used to use meditation as a medicine rather than a routine. Whenever I'd feel quote unquote all over the place, whenever I feel stressed or insecure or any any of these things, I'd feel like I need a big bout of meditation, do 20 minutes, 30 minutes meditation. But it got to the stage two years ago where it had to be a non-negotiable. And the practice of letting go, the practice of just acknowledging thought in your head, acknowledging the insecurity. And in my case, it would have been acknowledging the frustration, the anger, sometimes the jealousy of not being able to do what I'd always wanted to do in playing rugby. I just had to let that happen and the practice overflows into daily life. So I'm, I wasn't pushed, pulled. I wasn't a hostage to whatever um, I was thinking and I didn't act upon that. I didn't let it ruin my, ruin my day. I, I let it happen and I just let it go. It was almost like jujitsu of the mind at times where I just have to literally move away from what was going in my mind because for whatever reason as we grow up in that that single-minded focus of being a rugby player obsessed with being the best obsessed with achieving that tracked that sort of mental or neural pathway if you like that was still happening after i finished playing you know the stuff that would make you want to prove people wrong that would want you to to go and achieve and to make even more tackles the next game or to beat a a rival team. That has to, and we need to start getting better at this, when people leave the game, there's some unhelpful thinking, you know, there's some unhelpful patterns of thinking which flow through into life after the game. And 
I guess I'd done the work previously in terms of launching mentality and looking into into all of this, but it was the real test when I retired and when I had the migraines and when I had to step away from the game to just let that be and to almost let the migraines be as well and, and to and to come away from it every time. In terms of meditation, so you used it as almost like a medicine. So when you were feeling bad, you thought, oh, okay, I will meditate this away, essentially, it sounded like. And now it becomes, actually, it's this behavior that you do. What have you learned about the mind, about identity even, about the script, as you call it, from meditating specifically? Yeah, there's, along with that idea of success, along with that sort of projection of, of what will bring us to that feeling of satisfaction, I think basically that little kid, that little boy that played the game and grew up playing the game and felt that freedom, it was so natural because I think as a kid, you're sort of in that, that feeling of, of peace and play. And I think as you go older, and it's almost like we have, I'll go deep here, but it's almost like we have two versions of ourselves. There's like a version of a self which is that piece of, of joy, of everything being enough, of everything you have being plenty, and can naturally feel, naturally feel love, naturally feel fulfilled. The test and the challenges, I think, is when we start becoming the person that we are and we build up the idea, we build up the persona and the ego, if you like, and that sort of takes over, I think. And that sort of is the thing which perceives all the control that we have in life, perceives what's right and wrong, what's black and white, and the way that we live our life and the way that we move forward, what we chase. And I keep coming back to the quote, which um, it's obviously deep in Buddhism, but desire is the root of all suffering. You know, and it's that ego, that persona, its job or its task is to keep following the desire. But if we keep following the desire and we keep chasing desire, its own inherent goal is to keep creating more and more desire, it's to create more and more horizons. And I feel like I got to a point where after that 2016 period, I launched Mentality, which was a massive question that I launched myself into a self-discovery. I also think it was another achievement. It was also another expression of who I was to be able to prop myself up by. But the more and more I went on through through the year 2016, I managed to get back fit, back playing. I even made the England side, uh, the England squad. After getting a number 13 shirt that I'd always dreamed about getting, after coming back again, after making the England squad, I got to the point where I feel like that fuel or the supplementing the ego's desire or the ego's will, it had been exhausted over the course of what was a short career then. I'd been through so many ups and downs and so many comebacks and so many bereavements with my grandparents. And it almost like collapsed and I couldn't keep fueling myself just from the bursts, the short-term bursts of that collated idea of his success and, and of who you are. It just, the fuel had stopped. I almost, I, I did have a crisis of identity. I know you asked about identity. I think when I realised that that had stopped working, the questions went a lot deeper. It was the darkest period of my life and it was that you know that the closest thing that i could find it what it wasn't a conventional depression it was like just a breakdown it was a breakdown of it's like well what does depression even mean you know it was like well what does this even mean that i'm i'm at an england camp it was like an empty empty place and all of the sort of 
concepts, even the, the, the stuff in terms of resilience, in terms of being mentally tough, just, just for me, it just didn't mean anything at that point. But it was almost like the best thing that could ever have happened to me because the next year, 2017, you know, I'm talking in, in, in rugby terms here, I'm talking about sports such a great, a great way to use the narrative that we all crave in life, you know, the, the win or the losing and the successful or the not successful. But I didn't collapse as a player, I didn't collapse as a rugby player. I just felt a deeper purpose and a deeper joy of being in the world and, and in moments in in sort of moments in that despair in that emptiness in 2016 where i felt like i was working out who i could be in in the world of rugby which is it's, it's inauthentic you know it, you know that you know the deal of being a rugby player you know how all that works and i was like all of my meaning was dropping away in this episode in and around those moments i remember looking up at the trees and seeing sun coming through and feeling joy from it. <laughs> I can remember connecting with people and speaking to people and really listening to people and being in the flow of conversations. And it was just a dropping into a, a deeper place and almost a respect for how crazy we can be as human beings and how we're all just working out everything as we go along. It was the start of a new way to live life for me and that's not to say that I've not been sucked into the desire and distraction and, and all that sort of stuff but it, 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 was a, it was a new perspective to live life by from that moment on and a deeper and a more authentic and it's like another track behind the getting up and going again, the getting up and going again. It's like it can be perceived as giving up and it can be perceived as stopping and not valuing anything in the world anymore but it's almost a lot stronger than that track of of the to in and fro in it's like a stronghold of who you are and how naturally you can feed into feed that into your life and the connections the the purpose all of these things in life you feel them so much stronger but I feel like I had to have a breakdown of the exhaustion. I've had 10 operations in my life, all from 18 to 26, 10 operations. So that's a lot of comebacks and that's a lot of pain, a lot of trauma. And it was just like, it was an episode to feel everything, to feel it all and to say, do we go again here? And, you know, I managed to go again and learn a lot. <laughs> a lot more than I ever could have imagined. And I guess you, we talk about the script and you talk about the narrative that we all walk around with in our life and that being pulled away is so painful. And I know there'll be people listening to this that will have had that experience and will have been rocked so much that meaning drops away. But I honestly think it's, it's a doorway to more. Okay, there's a lot to recap there. And you did say you were going to go deep there, Stevie. So you spoke about two different selves. One, the nature of which is being fulfilled and being content and happy with what you have. And that's related to that, the kid running through the line, that feeling of peace. And then there's that ego self that we construct over the course of a lifetime. And you talked about it in terms of desire so we identify with things and also it's the activity of resisting some things and seeking the others in terms of that horizon and then you went through this process it sounds like the, the dark night of the soul where the meaning that you'd given your life your achievements drops away and it's a very painful process but ultimately you've acknowledged that actually it can be a doorway into something a bit deeper yeah, there's a lot in there. I flipping went into it a little bit, but it's a scary thing because you realise, and I think there's a resistance to realising it, actually. Everything you do, whether that's winning a trophy, whether that's getting a promotion, 
all of these things, they don't make you fully fulfilled. They just take you out of that moment which you felt a little bit uncomfortable in until the next moment that you get to it and you feel like you need to change, you need to do something different. So in the Viktor Frankl quote where he says, when you can no longer change the situation, you're challenged to change yourself. And I can remember reading that and just taking such a, a, a deep sigh and just thinking the answer is not out there. The answer is not in winning another final. The answer is not in a different girlfriend. The answer is not in being able to... Another million followers. Another million followers. Yeah, the answer's not in there. And it breaks down the ideas that you've had. It breaks down the concepts that you've had. And one of those concepts is the concept of, of the ego, the story that we have about who we are. And as you said, Simon, you have to let that go. And you let go the thoughts that you have. You let go every time moving throughout your day, you have to let go of it. Or you don't have to let go of it, but it's an option to let go of it. Um, if you want to, to feel fulfilled. And, and in that space, in that other version of yourself, which isn't the one that's got the master plan, got the master script and, and got all of the, the best directing skills, it's the version which can step away from that needing to be the be all and end all. Self-importance. Self-importance, yeah. And as sports people, we have a whole lot of self-importance to go around. We grow up believing that this is the ultimate, that this is the thing that, that everyone else wants to be. and that um, You're it. Yeah, <laughs> you're it, you're it, yeah. And you find out that you're not it. You find out that you're still squandering around to find out what actually is it. Playing a bit of hide and seek with it. And then, yeah, you're it. But the power is in the practice. The power, when we talk about meditation, the power is in the practice. And when you finally work out that you don't need to work things out anymore, that's a good place to be. It's a good yeah. place to be. You know, I saw a quote. Um, I think it was at the start of in and around that, that dark night, dark night of the soul experience. And it was saying life is a continual arrival into yourself. And just going off the back of the, you're it, we are going deep here. But we, we, we grow up, we grow up in life and we're playing hide and seek. We are playing hide and seek. We're looking for what it is. You know, we're looking for that thing we're looking for, that achievement we're looking for, that horizon, and we're hiding. We're looking for the thing that we are actually looking through. What we're looking for is where we're looking from, as Johnny Wilkinson put it. Yes, like it, like it, yeah, exactly that. I think it's particularly pronounced in sport, you know, this, you're it. And it happens in broadcasting as well, the idea, for example, of talent. So you're a bit different. You're a bit special. You deserve to be treated a bit special. Same with celebrity. You're putting on a pedestal. And then obviously the thing with sport though is you stop being it. In your case, 27 odd, mid 30s. And actually the people I think are, I really admire are the ones who are able to then leave that identity behind as opposed to the ones who still cling to it. That's the challenge, mate. And, and, and when we were talking a little bit about when, when I mentioned about the, the bravery, you, you have to have that leadership or you have to have that courage that you had on the field, on the court, wherever it is, to live the new life or to drop the old systems and beliefs mm. that you had in place when you were living that because that will burn out the the arena to live that life will stop and you cannot live with the same values, with the same framework of beliefs when you leave the game and when you left the arena where everyone was telling you that, that you're it, you don't carry on and, and, and no one cares after. There's always a new, a new team, there's always another trophy to win and no one cares, you know, no one cares. You almost need to get to you almost need to get to the place of where you don't care anymore 
it sounds strange, but you, you do need to get to the point of and living from living from that natural sense of peace that you had so long ago. Okay, just to finish things off, Stevie, then. So you've obviously had a very rough couple of years. Obviously, you've you know had the migraines, the pain, the anxiety, the anger, all that kind of stuff. But it does also sound like it's given you a different evolved perspective that was already growing even before your concussions. Have you got some new fresh outlooks, insights, etc., from what you've been through over the last couple of years? I think a lot of it was a test, a massive test of those experiences from 2016 to 2017 to being a captain, to being a leader. I think I think a massive portion of it was the real test, if you like. The positive that I get from it, I guess, is that I've been able to survive through it and that I've been able to use and meet other people that I can share experiences with. Um, and I've had to find new connections. I've had to find ways to get through it. And, you know, Natalie, as I mentioned, has been an incredible, incredible support for me. But I learned, I guess, that there's more to the world than all you've ever known. If you have support in place and you have the people around you that can help you transition from all you've ever known. And I learned that the purpose, I love to think of purpose as the thing that makes you feel deep gladness and makes you feel alive, but also is surfing or serving one of the world's deepest needs at the same time. That feeling of purpose that I have with mentality and the support that I had around me, I'll never forget how important that is and how important it is for someone in sport to have when they're going through through retirement and injury. And I think the whole process, Simon, the whole sort of last two years has just made me go further and deeper into being able to spend time with my thoughts and being able to be grateful for everything in life, whether that's perceived to be bad, whether it's perceived to be good. I try to go forward with that and through mentality, through Evolve, the membership, I'm so passionate on trying to take people on their journey when they're ready to do it too. Well, this is Stevie. You had a cracking, if at times interrupted, rugby playing career, but I love what you're doing with mentality. I think it's hugely valuable. Yeah, I think it's a really forward thinking and exciting project that you're working on. So I take my hat off to you for that. And, uh, and I also have just enjoyed chatting to you as I always do. So I just want to say thank you. I know you're in Costa Rica. You can get back to the jungle outside your window now and get away from the screen. Save your migraine. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure chatting. Thanks, Simon. It's been my guest. Cheers, Paul. Thank you for listening to this week's episode with Stevie Ward. To check out the brilliant work Stevie does with Mantality, head to mantality.co.uk. As well as the counselling and coaching, the team have a podcast too, as well as all sorts of other stuff, so definitely worth checking out. As ever, please do get in touch with me and let me know your thoughts or questions at Simon Mundy on social media. And please do sign up for my weekly newsletter at my website, simonmundy.com, where you can also drop me an email. That's it for now, though. Until next time, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.